Welcome to Re-Review, where we watch movies from our past with a perspective from today. Your hosts are Matt, Bobby, and Austin, and we love the films from our youth, so we're taking a look back to see if they still hold up. This is the final episode of our special February Valentine's Movie Month, where we have been re-reviewing romantic films and the air of romance surrounds us. The details, each of us has selected one love-related film to watch. That accounted for three films this month, so a randomizer chose this fourth movie of love. In the first episode, we covered My Big Fat Greek Wedding. The second, we watched Serendipity. And the third was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So please go back and take a listen. For our final film, the randomizer has chosen Casablanca. It was released in 1943, directed by Michael Curtis, and stars Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, and Paul Henreid. This movie covers a love triangle during the start of World War II. Now, this is a fair warning. We're spoiling an 80-year-old movie, so if you haven't seen it, yeah, that's a long time ago. (laughs) This has got to be the oldest film we've watched. So uh, I don't know about spoiling key plot points because maybe you already watched this one. So let's let's kick off talking about Casablanca. Did the randomizer do us dirty? I, I, maybe we could maybe we could get into this, but I know we all were not expecting this to be the film that we were going to watch because it's not love enough. <laughs> There's not enough love. Wow, Bobby needed more romance, more romance. I mean, one of the things kicking a movie like this is just it's it's not things we watch. I do not remember the last time I could tell you I watched a movie that's 80 years old. And I kind of appreciate that the randomizer stuck us in a, a bit of an awkward place because uh, it's not something we would have all actively chosen, let's say. It just ended up on a list and it was chosen for us. You know, looking at how this movie opens, A, let me just give a shout out to 4-3. Oh, man, Square. <laughs> I do love a square aspect ratio. This might give you a hint of me enjoying that terribly long Batman Superman shenanigans that was in black and white. But something about square still gets me. It's probably my love for CRTs. Um, But, you know, we get fanfare at the opening, all that music. We had a producer name on the WB logo. What era is this? These things don't happen nowadays. And we had credits up front and, and a very, very lovely earth. You all know me. You know how I feel about planets and movies. And there's just something about a terrible Earth, <clears throat> Goldeneye. Um, and this movie is much older and had a very lovely physical Earth. That it almost had. reminded me of like a classroom type of setting with a globe. Oh, totally you know, it was like it was like okay, we're going to teach you a little bit about where Africa is for all of you people who don't know, like what Morocco is and where Casablanca yeah. is and. Indiana Jones style opening. Oh, no. And thank you for hitting on that because I figured we'd talk about There's obviously a lot of things that we feel took reference from this film, and we could probably get into those parts. You know, like you mentioned, this film takes place in French Morocco, uh, in unoccupied French Morocco. The hint there being that uh, the Nazis were already coming in and uh, taking over places. And this was apparently just a place that they hadn't quite got to yet, and they were uh, they were making their way in. So you know, we get to this movie opening, and we see bustling city zones and everyone doing things. And I think we all reacted with what you just said, Bobby. It felt like Indiana Jones, right? Wait, we saw a bustling city. <laughs> well, we <laughs> saw. <laughs> Tell us what we really saw. What did we really see? So, what's interesting about this movie is that. So all of the establishing shots were done in some kind of effect, like a model or 
a matte painting or some kind of set dressing or set painting because this movie was nearly from what I could tell from looking, researching a little bit and looking is that it was almost entirely filmed on a set in LA. Now, later on, they go into like some stock footage of war movies and Paris and stuff, but the very opening shot of the, of the movie is like artificial. I mean, to, to be fair, it very much is in that time period, right? This is very yeah. much towards the end. Well, I guess it's still kind of milk. Cause obviously this took place in world war two, but mm-hmm. this is very much the studio era, right? Everything right. was controlled by the few studios that were out there. And it wasn't unusual for a lot of these to be filmed out there. And to be fair, you couldn't film this in that actual area during that time because there was a war going on. So they kind of had to make do, but for sure. I mean, to be clear, my intention is to just point it out, not to knock it. I thought it was neat. I will take neat. I think I'll take neat as well. (laughs) I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I'll I'll say neat. (laughs) But okay. I mean, how did you feel? You said there was sort of that callback, right? You thought of Indiana Jones, the way the characters were dressed, things like that. Yeah. So, um, it just kind of, uh, like, the the time period the era what was happening like everybody was wearing hats it just kind of reminded me of indiana jones especially the opening kind of like how to get to morocco was the the animated line on a map and then when they they would stop at certain points and then this one showed like dots where they would use a different mode of transportation to get from one section to the other section so that kind of held like a, a nostalgic kind of like this makes me happy kind of situation going on. And then I did find like the few opening scenes to be much more chaotic than I was expecting. For some reason, I was expecting just kind of like very static camera, very long, like 15 second takes of just essentially people talking. But some of these were like smash cuts and like cameras moving in ways that I didn't think like cameras that, that were the size of like trucks in the 1940s would be way would be moving like there's like fairly quick like pans and dollies and stuff like that and some fairly artistic shots like there was one where they were kind of pointing through a railing going from a second story down below so I was pretty impressed with the with the artistry it's sort of weird because you mentioned nostalgia it's kind of like a reverse nostalgia, right? Did you see this movie before you saw Indiana Jones? No. So thinking what Spielberg <laughs> right. did there, right? right. Yeah, no, they, this no, is totally, I'm sure we're like, Bobby's here talking about how he's reminding you of Indiana Jones. And I'm just imagining this person right. who has watched this in theaters in the forties, watching Indiana Jones is like, Hey, that's like Casablanca. Right. right. <laughs> no, exactly. For sure. Yeah. Which I mean, is probably intentional on the part of the Indiana Jones producers. Yeah, it's you know we look at so uh, let's set the scene. We we get into into French Morocco. We get introduced to not our main characters. We I think Matt, you made the comment. We don't see them for a while. We we see someone who has bad papers and gets shot in the streets, and it was like, oh, this is extra violent out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's kind of go with it. And by the time we get to meet uh, Humphrey Bogart as Rick Blaine, we're introduced to his. Uh, he keeps calling it a saloon, his bar. Mm-hmm. where they have a piano player um but it's kind of like a gambling institution too right there was like roulette tables and it was a, they played other 
it was kind of like a casino, I guess, like a wild, wild west, kind of like anything goes kind of casino. And that really was it. That's what they were trying to present throughout the entire film. It seems like everyone in their own way was just corrupt as heck. It's it's between Humphrey as Rick Blaine and and what's our, our buddy here? Uh, Claude Rains is Captain Louis Renault. Oh, boy. Talk about a corrupt dude. <laughs> Openly so. <laughs> I think that's what got me. There's so much corruption in the film and everyone talks through their stuff in the wide open public like it's no big deal i was very confused by how cavalier everyone is about uh their shady business but thinking thinking of rick blaine and, and meeting humphrey um what how do you how do you feel about rick as a character uh well i mean my i think my initial comment when i was watching this like am i supposed to like this guy or <laughs> like what like it i think his character type probably fit for the time period that kind of like gruff, you know, uh, almost antisocial yet desired type of person. Um, I think it fit for that time period, but watching it now, I just remember thinking like, I don't particularly like him. Everything he says and does doesn't make him any more likable. And even by the end, like I would say he was somewhat redeemed at the end. Mm-hmm. but by then I was already so like uninvested with him that like, I didn't really care that it had happened. Um, but I think that whole flawed protagonist is kind of the, the type of character you'd have in the movie like this. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the story kind of helped him out a bit, I think where there's a lot of like s- screenplay helping him, like telling the audience like, Hey, he's a good guy. What did they kept, describing him in a certain way what they say he's like he's a softy on the inside basically like and i kept telling him he's sentimental yeah or, or he's, specifically captain louis renault would say he's a sentimentalist that was uh repeated over and over again over to and over try yeah, to remind some, us that at some point he's going to change his ways in this right. film right which which he i mean he doesn't and we'll get to that so we we get to see him do, be the businessman, right? Because he's kind of the everyone's coming here to meet him. We we get introduced to characters who are like, "Well, we want to have a drink with this guy." He's like, "He doesn't have a drink with you. You're only the second biggest bank from Denmark." Ah, ha ha ha! I'm so hoity toity. And you know, we get to this point where we meet who is it? Uh, Paul Henried is Victor Laszlo, and and Ingrid Bergman is is Isla Lund. Uh, where they come into his bar and that really starts sort of the love story. And we get a couple phases through the film here, right? Because we get the, oh, I think these two people used to be together, but we're not really understanding, even though we saw it and we were just going like, uh, so, hey, you you do recognize, Mr. Victor, that these these two people know each other very well. And we also get like a throwback story to Paris where we finally, quote unquote, I'll say, get a change of scenery. And one of the things you mentioned, Matt, was <laughs> this is a, this is French Morocco, but it was Burbank. <laughs> Never ending Burbank. Well, it's, you know, it's the weakness of not being able to film on any sort of location as you don't have establishing shots in a movie like this where you're you're in a foreign territory if this movie were made today, you very much would have establishing shots of Morocco. You'd see city streets. You'd see like in Paris, you you would have something that tells the audience. Like, I don't think I entirely at first put two and two together that we were doing a flashback when that mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. I think it took me a hot mm-hmm. second to realize what was happening. And I think it was mostly because when they, they, 
and they did it throughout this entire movie. And I can't blame it for being an older movie for doing it because modern movies do it too. They would throw out things to let you know as the audience what was happening. Like mm-hmm. how often were they using everyone's name? Like they would literally like say, hey, Rick, 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 Rick. Like mm-hmm. in the same conversation, he would say the names out. And they, I think in that scene, they would constantly call out the word Paris um, in order mm, to make right. sure that you're aware of it. And that's when I, I was like, okay, all right, this is supposed to be a flashback because they didn't look any different. They were like the same no. personalities. And again, we were, we were stuck inside of a room. And so like, I, I didn't quite click. Like I almost would have preferred the old style, like, like the little wavy lines to appear. <laughs> like, remember Paris? And then I okay, the flashback. They did <laughs> yeah. have one really interesting effect that, that I'm interested in is that basically like they had the shot where they're in the car and the yeah. background dissolves from one shot to another, but the foreground doesn't dissolve. And so do you guys think that's kind of like a, maybe like a romantic romantification of like what Paris was to him and like, as it's like his point of view of a flashback, like I, well, I thought that was that... kind of an interesting effect. Yeah. Because I, I think you're speaking to it from that story perspective and digging into it where I'm thinking just from a technological perspective. Yeah, you're right. They didn't actually go to Paris. So doing the old car in front of a screen and running some film behind it, I was just like, oh, this is neat. I was having reverse nostalgia because I think of all the things that do that from like a joke perspective or even uh, thinking of something like Austin Powers where they did that quite a few times. Right. It was kind of nice to just, you know, I did not mind one bit just seeing the car doing the fake, like it was fake moving. Like they were driving, just having the, uh, the, the role of film behind them, of them moving from different parts from Paris, the city to the countryside. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's almost like if you have like a heightened sense of like romanticized flashback in your head, it plays out like a movie. Mm-hmm. If, if only life was just like that. But did you did you find it? Watch, I mean, I, we've already kind of talked about it a little bit that this movie isn't a traditional romance by any means. No. It doesn't have the, the quantity of romance that we'd probably kind of expect from a romantic movie. Right. Um, I mean, did it just like even that scene, which was supposed to be the 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 crutch of their romance felt mm. so awkward and like so rushed. Like you didn't really even get a sense of what their romance even was in it yeah i was really confused by that because i was curious how would they meet how would they fall so deeply in love in what seemed to be like no time at all well not only no time there was a whole we're not supposed to ask questions about each other but right, they wanted to get married right <laughs> it seems like they like there was some kind of mysterious aspect to what their relationship was and that probably kind of like helped push it forward a little bit, but it just seemed really unusual to me. And the mystery is Laszlo at the end of the day, right? Bobby, you picked up on this. I totally didn't. I thought she was just lying. She's like, my husband is dead. And maybe she did believe it at the time. (laughs) But by the time this was all revealed, I was just like, ah, she's a liar. Yeah. At the time, my guess was that it was maybe one of the times where he was stuck in a Holocaust and she was not getting any information from him. And so she must've thought that he's dead. And so mm-hmm. since he's dead, it's only makes sense to just go on and gallivant with some other dude right away. 
and fall in love with him and complete, you forget that. complete com- forget completely about the since he's dead go gallivant yeah and the the amount of time too was like had to be nothing yeah. because technically right. speaking like germany didn't like really kick off the war until like 1939 realistically when they invaded and this this uh the Casablanca takes place in december of 41 mm-hmm. we have to assume that the Paracene had to have taken place at least we'll say a few months to a year prior to that. So literally he could have only been in a concentration camp for no time at all. And she's like, okay, moving on. He's, <laughs> he's dead. I'm, 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 I'm 21. So I got to move on before I get too old, I guess. Well, you are both just ruining this love story. <laughs> it was so this sweet. Very awkward love story. Yeah. Hey kid. And and you are making light to the interesting uh, comparison. The things we point out in this day and age, at least they had a sizable age gap, but that seems to be a common theme in Hollywood. But him calling her kid all the time definitely made it feel a little bit extra creepy. But still, so we have we have a love story. We have a an in theory a love triangle. I think I do want to kind of get into that little bit of that technical piece again in terms of the way things were shot because we don't really see films do it this way. And, and I want to talk about my favorite thing. And Matt, you could probably tell tell us the detail about what was happening. They were big on very like single faced glowy shots, especially for Isla Lund. Oh no, that was, they, 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 I can only imagine the amount of wattage used to power those lights <laughs> to get that, that effect. You know, it very much was like, you know, whenever you see portraits from that time period, mm-hmm. it, you know, she was always at, you know, a three quarters point of view, the light was almost always on her right side. And then they were throw they were throwing the, you know, the glow filter, mm-hmm. you know, in front of the lens to get that nice. And it, with the exception of one shot, it's almost always whenever they're pointing at a woman, specifically her, but sometimes the other actresses, actresses, they kind of got it a little bit too, but her, it, it was like the old timey of Wayne saying like, this is who you're supposed to be you know, in love with this is mm-hmm. the lead actress. This is the romantic, you know, lead or whatever. And almost every shot that was just her was a shot like that. And then one time, I think it was like Victor got that treatment or I think it was Victor. He, he got into he one did. shot. It's almost like they left it on by accident <laughs> and they went to go watch the dailies and like, Oh, we don't have time to reshoot that. Just I leave was it. So happy about it. Cause I just wanted nonstop. And I think that was the thing with all the dialogue and so many shots that were like that. I thought I would feel a bit more cringe and I was totally okay with it. I was like, Oh, look at this bloomy glowiness that just keeps happening over and over mm-hmm. and over again. I didn't mind it. I actually didn't mind it at all. It was nostalgic. Um, right it very yeah. much played into the time period yeah so back to the corrupt nature i think i do want to talk about who you said was probably your favorite character even though <laughs> it's probably not the best no best as, as it, as it progresses human. as it progresses yes. it makes it a little bit less so but <laughs> captain louis renault talk about a french mfer who uh <laughs> who is just wow he just is all about his business i think you know we understood at the beginning corrupt corrupt cop okay no problem but the one of the biggest things and we didn't even get into this is at the end of the day everyone's trying to flee morocco to get to the united states and the way they do it is by getting forged papers or more importantly it seems like he is getting paid off and signing papers so that other people can sell them is that, i think that's really what was going on there and Rick gets these papers from his buddy um, <clears throat> Ugarte, who gets arrested. Well, whatever, whatever that that part, he's he's out of the picture. But that's really onus of 
hey, uh, I'm Isla, I'm Victor, we need to get out of here because we're trying to fight against the Nazis. Rick, can you help us? You've got the papers to do this. And it all comes down to Captain Louis Renault, who is, uh, again, this corrupt person. We get these moments where him and Rick have a good relationship. They're kind of doing their corrupt thing together. But then as we learn, and he's working with the Nazis to, to I, I don't know, he just wants to play whatever side he can to get his benefit. We kind of learn that he's been um, using his power advantage in a very despicable way, to say the least. Yeah, that was kind of, when it, when it hit that moment, I was like, oh, they're implying it. And it. I think I think uh what was what was uh was it Joy Page's character? She was the one who talks about it later on mm-hmm. about how she uh was playing hypotheticals mm-hmm. with uh, Rick, with Rick right? to to be like, you know, would 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 a husband be upset if he found out that wife did things to to help him to sacrifice everything to help them to get him out or whatever. Uh-huh. And so and that kind of solidified Rick whether it. or not yeah, Louis is a good man or keeps yeah. his word. Yeah. That's tough. That, That's yeah, tough. that was that that was the one point in the movie where I was like, ugh. I, I liked then, his character for like I'm okay with like the sleazy corrupt. I think my two favorite characters in this was him and the pickpocket. Like, yeah. yeah. The, the two most openly corrupt people or whatever. And they just <laughs> it, you know, they were if if they were in a more modern movie, they'd probably be the character that everyone would be saying they were just chewing up the scenery, you know? Just totally mm-hmm. playing into the character. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I could totally see, like, someone like Christopher Walken playing a character like that, right? Just totally okay. just inhabiting it. And you're like, it's a total sleaze bag, but I'm okay with it. But it hit that scene, and I was like, oh, no. No. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, it's it- there's the heaviness of that and i think the um and i don't know if you felt it but i definitely felt it at parts just the overall heaviness of dealing with world war Two. i mean maybe it was them cutting into showing stock footage of war but i just went oh yeah there it is i was like surprised by how chill it was in casablanca <laughs> all things considered because like they even acknowledged that you know france had already fallen at this point to mm-hmm. to to Germany, and you know this is forty. Uh, it's supposed to be forty one, so the war is already two years in. Um, it, it it was surprisingly not as um, at each other's throat. I mean, there was a couple scenes. There was mm-hmm. a mild altercation between the French soldier and the German soldier at the bar, and then there was obviously the the singing dance off. Between yes. the two sides. Mm-hmm. Yes. Of all the things I did not expect to see in this film was a music battle. Oh, no. I was borderline expecting like a, you know, a Michael Jackson's bad video where they tied each other's <laughs> hands and they started doing like a dancing knife fight. Like it, you know, but all that aside, it for the most part was pretty chill, all things considered. Like it all, mm-hmm. it very much felt like Casablanca was supposed to represent, like Bobby said, like the Wild West. It was very much, you know, new, not neutral territory, but and unspoken like we we just don't do anything here this is just you know yeah, we kind of let people of all creeds come here wherever mm-hmm. they're from and yeah it's a watering whatever, hole right yeah right. whatever we get into we get into but no one's going to get in too much trouble for it because we're all participating in but see i still don't understand why the nazis are willing to just go with that and be like yeah okay i won't just murder this person that we're looking we've been spent all this resources and been looking for for a long time to just like be okay with the decorum of some random bar and just like 
not murder everybody on site. Let's let's probably we'll talk about putting you in charge of things later. <laughs> <laughs> not going to Bobby's bar. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, you're there is that total level of decorum. I think we have we have like our inglorious bastards version of you think just totally terrifying, scary, and that obviously existed. Um and then you have this sort of like you said, the chill part. This is a maybe things aren't quite there, so they haven't really ramped it up quite yet in French unoccupied Morocco. But yes, eventually they get evil Bobby. Come on, we all know this. Well, I mean, I I do wanna jump forward to ask you guys later, like what you think happens to this guy. You know, he seems to think he has a future, a beautiful friendship with a corrupt official, but is basically yeah, we could we could talk about Rick kind of flipping it right because again we saw Rick Rick was corrupt. Yeah, is basically like giving her the plane ticket, and not just keeping it for himself, like his death warrant essentially. From who? I the way that I understood it, and I know we're kind of jumping to the end or whatever, but so obviously, you know, he quote unquote kidnaps the captain. Mm-hmm. has him help him basically get the two of them out of the right. uh, of the country. Um, which, you know, it's funny thinking about it because obviously the director the director directed the Maltese Falcon as well. Like it very much kind of became like the Maltese Falcon, those travel papers. Mm-hmm. Like those things were like the... Right, they're the, very MacGuffin-y. Very MacGuffin, those travel papers. <laughs> um, but I think up until he killed... Um, oh, what was his name? Uh, Strausser, Strasser, the, the German, the German major. Mm-hmm. I think that he very much was probably going to turn him in and, you know, he was going to play the sides. Right. But I think as soon as he shot him and I, I'm, I guess we're all assuming he died. It now meant that the status quo had changed. And so like before he got shot and killed, I think he probably was going to turn him in. And it was probably going to be a bad situation for, oh, you th- for you Rick. Think so, but hmm. I think once Strausser died, to him he was like, "Oh well, I don't have the 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 German guy here to kind of push that direction. So I'm just going to play who's currently in charge." And so he just went off with Rick. And I don't think anything happened to Rick personally, as far as um, uh, Renault doing anything. My my personal opinion, but right, I, I I don't mean like Renault doing something. I mean I mean the whole fact that like the Nazis are coming and he didn't use that opportunity to get out himself. He seems like a survivor. I'm guessing he probably could get himself out of things because it sounds like he did it a couple times. Yeah, mm-hmm. not just Paris. So for sure, yeah. <laughs> No, and he's tending bar. He was making people happy. Look at all the cocktails people were drinking. <laughs> I, I mean, want to go visit that bar. I mean, how many corrupt politicians probably went through there? And yeah, yeah, that's I mean, right. and he knows the guy in charge of the second largest bank in Amsterdam or whatever. Yes, he does. Right. Yes, he does. He didn't drink with them, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, so we kind of gone through the beats of the film. I, this is all about again, we're re-reviewing. This is 80 years old. Man, is this? Do they do they remake something like this? What? How are we feeling about it? I I don't know if I would remake it because I think there would obviously be a big, and I I know they've tried to do sequels and remakes and stuff, and it's always been kind of shot down or lost steam. I don't know if you remake it. I think you look at probably what the core elements of it are, mm-hmm. and kind of make a movie that's like an homage to it. Um, I think that's probably a better way to go about it. Just kind of look at the idea of. 
what would a modern version of this look like without it being like a beat for beat remake or too close or you reusing the title because you know hollywood would probably try to do that be like oh it's casablanca in space you know (laughs) um but i think if you look at like what made it work for the time it made it into a classic see if those elements are kind of like you know the shakespearean elements or something where you could okay what's the core of it could i translate that into a modern movie and what would that be what in the modern Mm -hmm. world would be a no man's land that both sides of a conflict would be able to, you know, hang out in or whatever. Is it a, is it a casino in Macau or whatever? And it's, you know, U S forces and Chinese forces or something, you know, mm-hmm. is, you know, I think that you could probably do it that way, but an actual remake or reboot, I don't think that would go over very well. Well, since we're, since we're in the month of love and you could look, you could look at the love story basically, which is basically how, there was a couple who were together and then they split up under very harsh circumstances. And then one of them comes back to the other and needs something from the other very badly to move forward with their life. That's a very interesting idea there where it can bring up all these kind of emotions and like all this stuff. I mean, they kind of played into it a little bit, but really that whole situation could have been like, the whole crux of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I guess in that sense, there's probably films who that already do meet that criteria and remaking this probably doesn't necessarily fit into it. I do want to give a shout out to Dooley Wilson who played as time goes by probably 15 times in the film <laughs> <laughs> that they use the theme from that song over and over and over again. Um, but I think it is time to ask the question. So Bobby, are you recommending this film for people to watch 80 years later? Or I think if you're a film historian, it's one of those kind of benchmark type of movies like, I don't know, like Gone with the Wind or the first movie with sound or something like that. It's it's one of those like historical type of movies that, in my opinion, held up fairly well considering like I really thought that it was going to be really, really slow and boring and it didn't feel that way to me. So I say, yes, have a look. Okay. Matt. I think that if you're looking for a romantic movie, not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the only reason why you probably would watch this is for the same reason my Bobby is saying is the idea of watching something that has cultural significance. I mean, the one liners alone, if you ever want to know where they're coming from, you have to watch this yeah. movie to have any, I mean, there's probably like 10 different one-liners at least that have, mm-hmm. you know, perpetuated through pop culture and our, you know, zeitgeist or whatever. So you kind of could watch it for that reason. I don't know if anyone younger than us probably would enjoy watching this. I don't think that a, a more modern generation would probably really be able to sit down long enough. Um, well, the key, the key part is whether or not it's in the cartoons, right? Because I feel like so many things I watched as a kid made references to these things well beyond. Oh my yeah, age. Sure, like Looney Tunes sure. and oh, exactly. for sure. So you know, it's what are the are the are the people making the cartoons today doing that same type of thing? I guess if this ends up as like a TikTok video or something, they use the audio. Oh, it hurts. <laughs> that will revive it. Hurts. <laughs> that hurts. But you're saying take take a watch. I I'd say if you find it on uh, if you happen to come across it on TV or on an old VHS in a library, I guess, but I don't know if I'd go out you of know, my way. I like that VHS in a library. Cause then you're really buying into the, uh, this is classic. We're doing a little <laughs> mid classic. So eighties, nineties classic from the technology standpoint, it's just classic. Cause it's an old movie. I'm, I'm feeling the same way. I think it's a, 
it's worth taking a watch if you haven't seen it. It is 80 years old, so ideally you have. Didn't expect us to re-review this, but I came out uh, pleasantly surprised, given uh, knowing that depending on other films of this era, we may have left with very, very different thoughts. So I'm going to also chalk it up to it to recommending this one. As always, thank you for listening. And remember, I love you so much, and I hate this war so much. <laughs>